Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Academy. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, telling you to kill those mice. And going down the greasy spoon for a bacon butty and a cup of tea, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 4th of November 1993. That sounds like a hell of a date, by the way. Meatloaf, talk about your date, not the 4th of November dates. 4th of November is still a perfectly functional date. There are worse dates. Meatloaf is still top of the pops with I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. But we've got a new number one at the top of the box office. It's Hocus Pocus. Jump back. Twist the bones and bend the back. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts... Witches! Yes? ...thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. years later it's halloween eve and they're back Uh are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating talking about three ancient hags versus the 20th century how bad can it be nice and timely really being a sort of halloween themed movie now before we started recording i had a confession to you which possibly rocked you almost as much as your confessions about guns and roses iron maiden and acdc I don't think I've seen this film. Or if I have yeah. seen this film, I don't think I've seen it since 1993. I was in the same boat as you. But yeah, I, I said to my wife, I was like, because she loves Hocus Pocus and all of her friends love Hocus Pocus as well. But I said to her, I was like, I don't think I have seen Hocus Pocus since the mid 90s. Like, you know, VHS would have been the last time I seen it. Maybe when it like it premiered on BBC One or something would have been the last time I saw this. Uh, but we we watched it over the Halloween period on Disney Plus, and it's good fun, mate. It's a good little fun film. It's it's really carried by uh, the witches, by the sisters. Like the performances uh, of Bette Midler and uh, Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker are really 
really good. Sarah Jessica Parker in particular is fabulous in the movie and Bette Midler's fantastic. And that's that's what makes it fun. The kids are fine and everything, but yeah, the witches really do make the movie. I find it very interesting that you say that your other half likes it, that your friends like it and love it and all that stuff. Because this film tanked. Oh yeah, it really did. This film bombed. This film lost Disney about 16, 17, 18 million dollars at point of release. Mm-hmm. And it found its audience via annual airings, mainly on the Disney Channel, but also the home video market. And that extra exposure in the aftermarket resulted in an annual spike in sales for the home video DVD and Blu-ray releases, which I find surprising because... How many times do people need to buy it? What are they doing with their copies each year? Is it a case of, oh, I bought this movie for Halloween. Let's see, put the tape in, press play. Well, Halloween's over, best throw it out. My guess would be that, you know, Halloween comes around, it's like, well, I need to go down to the video store and buy myself a Halloween-themed movie. And it's just different families buying it every Halloween, I guess? Yeah, okay, that's possibly a more reasonable theory. (laughs) Thanks for just blowing my diatribe against consumerism out of the water, says the person (laughs) that's bought Ghostbusters more times than he cares to answer or remember. I look up at that shelf that's above my my PC at the moment, and all I can see is various, various different re-releases of Ghostbusters on various different formats. I mean, okay, let's go, let's do the math. VHS at least twice, because I did wear through one copy of the tape. DVD, I bought an American DVD release of it. I know I also bought a UK release of it because there were different anniversary editions. Then on Blu-ray, I have bought it three times, the latest of which was the American Steelbook, which had the 4K Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, so that's the one I don't have. I have got VHS. I've got it twice on VHS because I've also got the Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 double pack. Oh, that was a good double pack. That was nice having that in the one clamshell. Yeah, and it's got an episode of Batman in the middle of it as well. Got it on DVD several times over, as you say, for those anniversary editions. And then on Blu-ray, the single release, uh, the one and two release that they did, I think, for the 30th anniversary. And then the Steelbook editions that had the new artwork on it, the Mondo artwork. Mm. Um, But I don't have the 4K release. That's That's the one I don't have. I'm glad I got it because even though I don't have a 4K TV, I'm sure I will at some point. And also, that 4K set costs a fucking fortune now. It wasn't the cheapest (laughs) two-movie set I've ever bought, but I'm glad I got it there and not on the aftermarket. Anyway, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, good film, that. Uh, We're getting a sequel to it um, very, very soon, in fact. They announced it um, last year, I think, that we're getting a sequel to it on Disney+. And hopefully as well. Like the, the, The three sisters have said that they would like to reprise their roles. And... If they're going to do it, I would like to see it with that original cast. Uh, I think that is the, probably the best way to do it. Also, that was directed by Kenny Ortega, who would go on to do High School Musical for uh, Disney, which I've also got a bit of an affinity for, because I, I worked in a toy shop when those films came out, and I heard that soundtrack a lot, so I know pretty much all the words to High School Musical too. But while I may not have seen this movie, or not seen this movie in a long time, depending on how you look at it, the one name that leaps out more than Sarah Jessica Parker, more than Bette Midler, is the writer, is Mick Garris. Because here is an icon of horror and an icon of podcasting. Because if I can recommend one podcast maybe you've not heard of, it would be Postmortem with Mick Garris. 
yeah, I I will now check out this film. I've preemptively added it to Shocktober playlist for next year. I've already built up some films that I know I want to watch next Halloween. Some that I didn't get round to this year. Some that I saw at the festival this year that I hope to own on home media by next year. But Hocus Pocus is now amongst that list. It's a good Sunday afternoon movie. Really is a solid, solid. Get some snacks in. Get some good like chocolatey or biscuity snacks in. And you'll have a grand old time with it. But just from the production point of view, very quickly, it was a fairly tight turnaround. We talked about Ghostbusters. This film had almost as quick a turnaround. It started shooting in October 92 and finished in February 93 and obviously was then out five, six months later. That is almost the Ghostbusters turnaround where they had to go from greenlit to theatres in a year. Yeah, Street Fighter the movie was the same way. Two of those movies are remembered fondly and then there's street fighter <laughs> but maybe one of the ways in which i'll watch it next year will be either via disney plus because you know we all obey the house of mouse around here or maybe i'll pick up the blu-ray because there was a 25th anniversary edition blu-ray and you know what that blu-ray had luke is it got a commentary track or at least some like bonus features it's got special features including deleted scenes and a behind the scenes retrospective hmm that'd be fun yeah well, I- is it a new retrospective or is it an old one I think it's a bit of both from what I can see. I mean, I'm just going off the basic comments. It's maybe one of those ones where they've got the legacy features and then the new stuff. Right, okay. Which I like because I like to be able to see what people thought about it as opposed to when they're being paid to talk about the movie. Yeah, totally. Well, after a few weeks of no releases to talk about, we've got a heck of a lineup here. Castlevania Rondo of Blood gets its release on the Turbo Graphics. Mega Man 4 gets released on the Game Boy Ultimate Soccer, gets released on the Game Gear. Lethal Enforcers on the Mega CD. But the game that really jumps out to me is Terminator 2 Judgment Day on the Super Nintendo, because that is one of the shittest games I have ever played. Last week's show, we had Robocop vs. Terminator, and we were talking then about how Terminator didn't have a great luck of games, really. Didn't have a great run of games. A Terminator 2 Judgment Day for the Super Nintendo is just about the worst of the lot. It's so, so poor. Like, virtually, at some points, unplayable. I'm not going to argue, because we've actually seen some movie tie-ins recently where you can tell they've had a full and generous development cycle with either access to the script, the set the stills, knowing what's going on. Jurassic Park, we talked about it a few weeks Mm -hmm. back. Robocop versus Terminator, two film properties, but based on a comic book, so therefore didn't have to meet a deadline to match a film's release. And now we're kind of back to shitty shovelware because it's being sold on the license. They're not really bothered if the game is actually any good. I mean, while neither you or I don't really have anything positive to say about Terminator 2 for the SNES, I do have Chris Scullion's new SNES encyclopedia book. Maybe he has something positive to say about it. No. No, he doesn't. (laughs) He does point out that it shouldn't be confused with T2, the arcade game, which also came out for the Super Nintendo, worked with the Super Scope, and was a much better game. Much better. This is a retelling of the event of T2 through side-scrolling action scenes, starting at the bar where the T-800 gets his gun, you travel to John Connor's home, then the mall follow the state hospital you break out sarah connor basically plot of the film however unlike the film dropping the t-1000 into a vat of molten lava isn't enough to kill it you have to send arnie down with his massive gatling gun to pump more bullets into it whilst it writhes around 
And the ending note on this entry is that a single rock track plays through the entire game until you reach the final stage, which definitely isn't annoying at all. because you'll be hearing that track so it'll be the bed music that's underneath this but good lord does it get annoying bad bad game is that what isn't a bad game however is castlevania rondo of blood which is the the, to the name it had in, in japan over on the turbo graphics gets released here uh, in the west uh, on the super nintendo as dracula x it's it's interesting rondo of blood because because super castlevania 4 is uh, for my money, probably the definitive 2D Castlevania game that isn't the Symphony of the Night. Like the straight 2D, I would say. Like Symphony of the Night introduces like the different explorative stuff, the, the the Metroid style of gameplay. So for me, like the straight 2D stuff, I would say that Super Castlevania 4 is the definitive way to play the game. And partly the reason for that is because you've got like the whipping in all eight directions and it just feels more controllable. And then Rondo of Bloods, because it was designed for the Turbo Graphics goes back to that more stiff style than NES style of gameplay. So it's a, it's really weird that these two came out on the same system. But uh, I, I've got a lot of time for Rondo of Blood. It's really, really fun. Um, and yeah, it, it's a, a really decent entry into the Castlevania franchise. And there are lots of ways that you can play it now because one, it's on the Turbo Graphics Mini, so a nice easy mm-hmm. way to play it there. Two, you could modify your SNES Mini to include it. Just saying that's an option. Or you can download it the ps4 as part of a pack with symphony of the night for my money and while i still want to get a turbo graphics mini the best and easiest way to play this is on that playstation pack because you're getting two really really great games and even if you don't fall in love with rondo of blood symphony of the night chef's kiss oh yeah that's that's pinnacle castlevania for me yeah, that's the pack that I've got uh, on the PlayStation. It's a really, really good conversion of both games. Well, except conversion, it's just the ROMs. Like, But um, yeah, I, I think Rondo of Bloods, it's certainly worth your time because it got massively overlooked uh, when it first came out. But it's it's certainly worth a, a quick revisit too. But that's enough chat about that. Have we got anything going on in the magazines, Ash? Well, we're still getting to the fireworks factory of the interview with Dexter Fletcher. But I thought, you know what we haven't done for a good long time and in fact may never have done with Games Master Magazine? is take a look at the old letters section. See how they treat their readers. I don't think we have, because obviously there wasn't a letters page in issue one of the magazine. And we I don't think we have done a letters page yet, you know. No time like the present. Let's take a look at a couple of entries and see what we've got. First up, we've got a letter from Christopher Watt of Edinburgh, who says, I own a SNES and an Atari ST, and in your fab mag, I only find reviews of games for my SNES. Would it be possible for you to review Atari ST games? Also, my mum wanted me to ask you this. Why don't you help to reduce the ridiculous price of console games by listing their prices in different retail outlets? This might give shops favourable or adverse publicity and encourage competition. It takes me ages to save up for a game. And other games magazines often give out free discs on their covers. Why don't you? Finally, my friend says Sonic 2 got 9% in one of your previous issues. I didn't see this one, did it? P.S. My mum thinks your magazine is educational because I've learned so many new words. Ah, he was a fan of Dominic's big purple column then. (laughs) I mean, he's not far off with the 9%, is he? No, he is. He's 56% off. (laughs) But the reply from the magazine is, okay, Chris, here we are. First of all, check out the story about Nintendo prices in the network section this month because it makes quite encouraging reading. Second, whenever we review a game, we print the recommended retail price. 
This is the information you can use to work out if a particular shop is giving you a good or bad deal. We don't give away cover discs because we have lots of Sega and Nintendo owning readers and the disc would be useless to them. Also, we would have to increase the magazine's cover price. Sonic 2 got 65% in the first issue back in January. That's nice and down the middle. They're being far more dignified yeah. towards their readers than, than previous magazines. There's no yob here. That's a genuinely sensible answer. I mean, hopefully that will continue into the next letter. This is from Jason Furness in Leeds. In Leeds. He says, I've just subscribed to your mag and think it's smart. But you print letters from prats like Aaron Unruh and Mario Lemieux, who are full of cack and call you names. I'm also glad to see that sad git Dominic left, but Dexter's sad <laughs> as well. Why don't they get someone with half a brain to do the programme? Well, Jace, thank you for your views. We have to disagree with you, however, since both Dom and Dex are top skillsters, and we're pretty certain they are both in possession of fully formed cerebral organs which doesn't explain why this magazine takes a shit on Dominic earlier in this issue, unless it was just Bantz. <laughs> Maybe it was Bantz, Luke. Just Bantzer, mate. They were just razzing him, like Crash Bantzicoot. <laughs> Meanwhile, last letter from Satpal Chummer of Southall. Mm -hmm. I have a friend called Iftikar, but we call him Iffy instead, and he used to watch your Games Master shows as well as me. I think I must have missed a few of your shows because my friend watched one of them, which has been the cause of much debate between us. My friend Iffy came to my house and while we were playing Street Fighter 2 on my snares, we tried to do a cheat to become one of the bosses, but Iffy couldn't remember it. He said he saw the cheat on one of your shows. My friend would probably joke with me, but never lie to me and certainly not about a serious matter like this one. Please could you reply to me and tell me whether my friend was wrong or not. If my friend was wrong about seeing the cheat on your show, please don't come to my house and pull my hair very hard then hit me until I'm very sorry indeed. If my friend was right... Then send me the cheat in your reply. Fucking hell, that got a bit extreme towards the end. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. P.S. I think your mag is great. And don't forget to reply. Ooh, pushy. Ooh. Okay, pal. Here's the cheat enabling you to be the bosses. Go to a software shop and say, Hello, can I have a copy of Street Fighter Turbo, please? Then, when prompted by the sales assistant, insert the correct money into the till. Then leave the shop with the game. Now, when you plug it into the snares, it'll be boss being laughs aplenty. This is the only thing that will work. I was going to say, yeah, that kid either remembered it wrong or was just straight up lying. But because I don't even think Street Fighter 2 featured in the consultation zone in Series 2. Not at all. There was a way you could get the sprites for the bosses under your control in Street Fighter 2 with an action replay. Mm. But there was no moves and it crashed a lot. <laughs> Yeah, that's unsurprising. Hello, welcome to Games Master for another riveting half hour of news, reviews and challenges. Tonight we present an exclusive on the SNES with a celebrity twist. But you'll have to stay tuned to see that. Let's go over to the Games Master and see what's first on tonight's agenda. Games Master! Well, tonight's got a very interesting sort of thread going through because we've got an exclusive and there's a celebrity challenge with a twist. Yeah, we've kind of got some exciting challenges here. Although this first challenge is... I mean, we should probably go over to the Games Master to find out what it is. Our opening sortie tonight is rather special. The game is Super Mario All-Stars on the Super Nintendo. Four games all rolled into one, and I've chosen three of them for our contestants to play. Each game tests different skills, but our three contestants each have the same goal, to get through their level in the quickest time. 
I thought it would be very amusing to introduce an element of chance. I'll let the young Fletcher explain. I was so excited for this challenge because I've got, I've got kind of, you know, challenges that are coming up, like written down, the games that are, are, are coming up anyway. And this was always just written down as Super Mario World of Stars. And I was like, well, that's, yeah, probably it's just a challenge on the lost levels. But no, what we're getting here is we are getting three of these Mario games and three challenges who we're each going to play a random level from these games. And it's the person with the quickest time. And it's chosen at random. And it is, frankly, quite brilliant. It's quite brilliant, but it is also the most uneven race you can possibly imagine. It's like having a pie-eating contest. And you have your three competitors sat down and they're like, okay, uh, competitor one, you have a pie and apple is the filling. And they're like, cool, right, got it. Competitor two, you've got a pie and, you know, it's a bit sweeter. This is a cherry pie. And competitor three, your pie is filled with sand and spiders' assholes. Yeah, well, we'll get to the last levels in just a little bit because that's the one you don't want to get, isn't it? Apparently not. But according to Dex, they've auditioned millions and millions of Mario players, and these are three of the best. We've auditioned millions of Mario players, and these are three of the very best. So please, put your hands together for Sam Lee, Stephen James, and Samuel Lewis! Come here! Thank you for coming. Are you feeling confident about this challenge? Very. Very confident. You gonna beat the other two? Easy. Easy? He is very confident. So Samuel, have you played Mario before? No, never played before in my life. No, no, you haven't. Of course you're lying. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Sam? You can do well. Of course I'm. Look at these two. Okay. May the best person win. Bollocks. <laughs> yeah, I, I highly doubt that. I mean, from the like, from the oft of uh, auditioning millions of people, lie number one, and then these are the three best, lie number two. I'm sure at the time I'd have probably gone, yeah, checks out. There are millions of people who play Mario. They probably spoke to them all. Must have missed my <laughs> name off. Must have just like slipped through the cracks, or maybe I was at school. Although, shout out to Samuel, who was wearing a wicked Akira t-shirt. Samuel is the one to me that looks the most like a die-hard gamer. He's got a niche, at that point, anime t-shirt on. Oh yeah, right? And he looks like a gamer. But along with him, we've got Stephen James and Sam Lee. Yeah, I loved um, his t-shirt. I love Samuel's Akira t-shirt, but also the little banter that he had with Dexter Fletcher as well, because Dexter turns to him and goes like, you must have played Mario All-Stars before. And he just goes, nope. You're kidding, of course. Of course he's lying. Oh, he's a character, this one. He's a cocky, cheeky scamp. He's bigging it up. He's having it medium. He's all along it. And Dex finally turns to Sam, and she reckons she's going to do pretty well, because look at these two. Now, it's a fair comment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you've got Stephen, who says he's very confident, but doesn't really come across as being very confident. You've got Samuel, who's a lad. And then you've got Sam, who is probably the most sensible of the three. Oh, yeah. Uh, easily so. So, we've chosen three different levels of Mario All-Stars. They're all very different. But in the interest of fairness, we've stuck them on a card, which you will not be able to see. And then when you choose one, you will know which level you're playing. Simple as that, right? Ladies first, I think, don't you think? That one there. Let's see what you've got. You've got Super Mario 2. Yeah, you pleased about that? Definitely. Definitely. So Sam's on Super Mario 2. That one. You've got the original Mario Brothers. You pleased about that? Yeah. 
Definitely. Excited even. Brilliant. Brilliant. Slow down there, cowboy. Good stuff. So yours can only be Super Mario 3. Excited about that? No. Well, tough luck. So here is where the luck aspect comes into this, because Dex has got three cards in front of him that has got the artwork for Mario games on it, and that is going to tell you which Mario game you're going to be playing. So Sam draws first. She draws Mario 2. Steven draws Mario 1. That's probably the best of the lot. That's probably the one you want to get because it'll be the easiest one. He's very excited about that. Dex has to calm him down. Yeah, because he's too he's almost too excited about it. And then Stephen draws Mario 3. And he's like, are you happy about that? And he is not happy at all. Now you say it's got the artwork for three Mario games, and it does, but that Mario 2 artwork is not Mario 2 the Lost Levels. Exactly it, because my note I've written here is then, huh, I'm surprised they didn't do the Lost Levels. You'd have thought they would do the Lost Levels, considering that's the new game that's in the Mario All-Stars pack. Also, as uneven as this race is, and turns out to be, it would be even more wonked if one of them was playing Mario Brothers 2 USA, because it's not even the same goddamn game style. Well, that's what I thought. I was like, how in the hell are you going to get Mario 2 in there? That's just not going to work. It would have to be Mario The Lost Levels in order for this challenge to make any semblance of sense. With me in the commentary box is Neil West of Mega Magazine. Hello, Dexter. How are you doing? Very well. So, Mario All-Stars sounds intriguing. Yeah, this is a new game, but in fact, all these games are reversions and revamped versions of the old 8-bit games. So, as far as I can tell, this challenge is going to be a bit of a hare and a tortoise affair. I think the one who takes it steady, doesn't take too many hits, could well be the winner. Okay, sounds good. So, we've got Sam up first. She's playing Mario 2, The Lost Levels. Let's find out if Sam is ready. And then we find out we are doing The Lost Levels, or as Dex calls it, Super Mario Bros. 2, The Lost Levels. Which is actually true. It is Super Mario Bros. 2. It is also Super Mario Bros. The Lost Levels. He's just portmanteauing them together. Which, probably a scriptwriter thing, but it's actually the most accurate way to describe it. Because it is yeah. the second Mario game, just not the one we grew up with. And then I had to rewind it to be like, did I make up the fact that she drew Mario Brothers 2 artwork? <laughs> but no, they, they, she did. There is no Western Mario 2 artwork, really. The Mario 2 artwork for what became known to us as the Lost Levels is Japanese. Yeah, but there is artwork for it on, the, on Mario All-Stars. Like it has it has a logo that you select because it's got the, the artwork that you go across and there is the box art for it. But did they have it in a form that they could print onto the back of a giant playing card? I'd argue <laughs> they probably had the artwork for the normal three Mario games from the NES more readily. Yeah, they would be more readily available, but it's, it's not like they don't have some contacts that they could have got the artwork from. Or they could have just like printed Mario 1, Mario 2, The Lost Levels, and Mario 3. Because for the length <laughs> exactly, of time yeah. we see the bloody box art, it's not exactly a, a big thing, really. So in which case, I would argue then that Sam has got the hardest task out of anyone in this, really. Samuel's got the easiest, and Stephen has got the second hardest on Mario 3, particularly the level that he has to do. But poor old Sam's got to take on The Lost Levels, which is really, really hard. It is really, really hard. And we've talked about Mario All-Stars before. We've had it on two consultation zones. I think we've referred to it in other episodes as well. We've kind of covered where it came from and how it was a project born out of Mario Kart. And realistically, like going into the entire history of the first three Mario games, plus the Lost Levels or Mario 2 USA, depending on which one you consider the second game, that's both another podcast entirely and probably someone else's. It's a 
big old in-depth series. In fact, go check out Gaming Historian on YouTube. He's covered at least a couple of them and done so very well. But this challenge, particularly the Lost Levels challenge, really spoke to me because the Lost Levels was how I managed to get this game before Christmas. Oh, really? So we both went to school. Mm -hmm. We both had schools that had summer and winter or Christmas fates. Yeah. I had the idea that a good way to raise money for charity would be to do time trial challenges on Mario Brothers 2 the Lost Level World 1 1. Oh, that's cool. And then the person that got the fastest time by the end of each fair would win a prize. I can't even remember what the prize was. I think it was like a Mario stationary pack or something. Now, I had the SNES. That was fine. Didn't have Mario All Stars. I can't do a Mario 2 The Lost Levels challenge without Mario All Stars, Luke. <laughs> yeah, it'd be almost impossible. Almost impossible. And that is how I swindled Mario All Stars. <laughs> out of my parents because I was raising money for a good cause, Luke. A very good cause. I can't tell you what that cause was because all I know is I got <laughs> Mario All-Stars and it was great. <laughs> but I did do the challenge. I, I did it properly. I had a clipboard. I had a stopwatch. And I think I remember over the entire course of the fate, because it started in the afternoon and then ran on, I got 60 or 70 people down on that That's piece of paper. Going. Yeah. Like it, it was a, it was popular because Mario All Stars was new, and no one had played mm. the Lost Levels, Luke. No, absolutely not. No, that, that's that's a really fun little challenge. You basically you were your own games master. I was, I was. I don't think I wore foil on my head or made knob gags, but you know, I was, I was having fun. I had my own stopwatch. <laughs> so yeah, so I think that Sam has got the toughest task out of all three of them here. She she has the sand and spider assholes pie. Oh yeah, 100%. And watching this, this is not watching a speedrunner. This is I mean this is the opposite of a speedrun. This is like watching me play this game in 1993, which is just you're going to take your time. And it's funny because I thought that she was going to rush it at first because she runs past the point where you would have got power-ups. So I was like, okay, she's going to stay a small Mario because that way she could be nippying just and pretty much bum rush the level but then she goes past the power-ups and just stops and it's almost as if she realized that she didn't get the power-ups and she probably should have done and is then just really really cautious about where she's gonna jump next which you would be playing uh mario mario lost levels because the game's hard the game's the game has got there's a reason why we didn't get it in the west they basically realized we wouldn't be able to do it I do think she gets overcautious, particularly at the end, because it should not take any human being that knows how to hold a Nintendo controller that goddamn long to climb the pyramid to jump to the flag. Oh, yeah. And then she gets stuck as well. Like she gets to the flagpole, but like the block at the bottom and she's like just running at it. And you're like, no, no, little hop up. That's how you get. That's how you finish the level there, mate. But I'll be honest, 59 seconds. It's not a great time but it's no. not terrible. And she does complete the level. And realistically, this is a one life challenge. So she could have done a lot worse. She did complete the challenge. That's an important yeah. thing to remember for what's coming up. Here is my notes verbatim. Samuel is up next. He's got 59 seconds to beat, which he should do because he's playing World 1-2 of Mario. So you're in the underground bit. He knows how to use the run button. That is for darn sure. 
but he's also a bit slippery at times. He overshoots a couple of his jumps, but just about corrects himself. And then, unfortunately, does not correct himself when he's and he's right at the end of the level as well. He's literally at that warp pipe that's about to take you up, get you to the pyramid, and make you finish the level. And he was definitely easily going to walk this, but unfortunately, he walked a little bit too much and he falls off one of the platforms and he dies. And he is proper gutted that he did that. Yeah, those raising platforms often a source of misery in Mario games, but normally it's jumping and missing them, not running off the end. He knew how to use that run button, but what he didn't know was when not to use the run button. Unless you are doing a proper speed run for Twitch nowadays, and you've played this game like in your sleep for three years, there are times when you don't need to run. And honestly, if he'd just slowed down a second, he'd have won this challenge completely. He was at 38 seconds when he died. So he was 20 seconds ahead of Sam. And he then would have been 10 seconds ahead of Steve, the eventual winner. Steve, as you mentioned, he's up next. Steve does know this game because he actually goes down to this little secret bonus area off the left-hand side to get himself a mushroom power-up to become Super Mario. Goes up the top, there's a little bit of like sea walking a little bit, which I, I don't think saves him as much time as he thinks it does. It's a placebo, really. I think so too. But it's a good job he went to go get that power up because the basically the first thing he does is hit a blooper and goes back down to being small Mario and is then a slightly cautious getting his way through. But, you know, he does it with 49 seconds on the clock, gives a giant yes when he wins. Getting that mushroom was the best thing that that lad did. Samuel, you did really badly. Well, I didn't use the force. You didn't even get a time, let alone the force. Oh, well, don't worry about it. You got beaten by 10 precious seconds, Sam. Uh -oh. Are you devastated? Definitely. You can bash Steve later because he's the winner, the man who goes through to the final and who possibly has a chance to win the fabulous Games Master Golden Joystick. <laughs> How do you feel, Steve? Happy? Yeah. Well, join us again later, Steve. And post-match, the first thing that Dex does is he tells Samuel he did really badly and Samuel decides to double down and make a Star Wars reference. Because you know what, Luke? That's what goes down well with the crowds in 1993. <laughs> in Star Wars reference. That reference, like hearing it in 20, 20 years, you're like, oh, that sounds like something that most people would say now. Now, this is in 1993. Star Wars is very much a niche at this point. It won't become cool again until they get the Star Wars re-releases in 97. Maybe like with his Akira t-shirt, he was just ahead of his time, Luke. He was I think just, so. He was ahead of his time. But... Dex says he didn't get a time, let alone the force, which I think is damning, but also true. If yeah. anything, he was using too much force. Well, it was because I don't know if you spotted, but he was crab handing it as well. I did spot that. I made a note. I forgot to bring it up. So I'm glad you did. Mario is not a crab hand game. It's a weird one because I, I would do it as a, with the, the thumb where you sort of like you can press two buttons just using your thumb, using the bottom of your thumb and the tip of your thumb. There's no cause to, to crab hand Mario, particularly Mario 1. Mm. I almost feel like that would be a disadvantage. But that's what I think is his problem, because he was trying to use that to get the run and the jump buttons, and I think that's what cocked him up. Sam is just devastated that she got beat by 10 seconds, but that does mean that Steve is the winner, he goes through to the final and has his chance at a Games Master Golden Joystick. Dex asks him if he's happy, and he says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Young Merlin's got a lot on his plate. Life's not easy for an apprentice magician, especially when your spells don't work. And there's a missing fairy that needs rescuing. Get to the job. It's a very jolly sort of adventure game. 
you got to pick up things, solve puzzles, kill different baddies. There's loads to see in the game, and it's probably a younger version of Zelda, I suppose, and I really enjoyed it. The graphics make it shine through, as does the sound. Some really nice special effects in there, especially the way like, you throw us down, it sparkles and that kind of stuff. Really nice. Our motley band of reviewing Merry Men this week is Jazz Rignall from Me Machine Sega, Steve Merritt of Megatech, and our new favourite, Brad Burton from Over the Edge. And up first, it's a game I'm actually not that familiar with, Young Merlin on the Super Nintendo. Young Merlin because they couldn't release it as White Zelda. Because that's <laughs> what it is. It is a very, very Euro-Western-centric Zelda-type game. Although the angle and the art style reminds me a bit more of Zombies Ain't My Neighbours, but with the fantasy trappings of a Zelda game. However, despite it being a bit of a clone, it did do pretty well. It got middling to good reviews. Kind of, it was in that 70 to 80% mark for a lot of the reviews. And in fact, I would say that this review here is at the higher end of the scores that it got. But most places summarized it as a magical, whimsical ride and a fun and entertaining sidebar to more serious RPGs. And by the look of the game, that doesn't feel unfair. No, I'd, I'd say that's pretty fair enough. 86% for it. They were just very positive about it. You know, Jazz calls it a jolly little adventure game. Steve said that, you know, it's a, a younger version of Zelda, but he enjoyed it. And Brad puts over the graphics and sound. Really nice. 86%. Yeah, it's, it's solid. But as I had it to hand, I had a butcher's at Scullion's SNES Encyclopedia. Young Merlin is, of course, listed in there, as is every Super Nintendo game released. And something I didn't realise is, while I knew it was published by Virgin Interactive, it was developed by Westwood Studios. This is the guys behind Command & Conquer and Dune 2. And this wow. was their attempt to try and make something that would appeal to a younger and wider audience. And his little side fact, as he has on a lot of these entries, is not related directly to the game, but more to Merlin as a more larger fictional character where it says it's little wonder that young Merlin risks himself trying to rescue a good-looking woman. Merlin's death is different in a variety of tellings of his story, but most of them involve dying as a result of a beautiful femme fatale. If you thought playing one superhero was fun, pick up Spider-Man vs. the X-Men and you get to play five. With the likes of Wolverine and Cyclops around, you'll need to master them all. Any game featuring Spider-Man should be a web-slinging, baddie-kicking, mega-feast of action. But sadly, this isn't the case here. The graphics are dire, the sounds are equally bad, and you won't want to play it again after a week, I guarantee it. There's nothing new, there's something borrowed, which is all the routines, and I'll tell you what was blue, was my swear word that was using when I seen this game, I've <laughs> this one. Getting less positive comments uh, is Spider-Man and X-Men Arcade's Revenge, or Spider-Man versus X-Men, as they call it throughout this. You actually brought this up on uh, an episode previously when we talked about Captain America and the Avengers uh, as a game that you're not particularly fond of. It's dog sh I mean, I played the <laughs> SNES version. The SNES version at least sounded better than the Mega Drive version because this game sounds like a very low-budget Mega Drive game because this game is a very low-budget Mega Drive game. Now, it is called Spider-Man and the X-Men here. They don't mention Arcade's Revenge. Not sure why, but it is that game. And you've got Spider-Man, four or five X-Men. You take control of different X-Men for different levels or Spider-Man for different levels. And unfortunately, it is identical to the SNES version, apart from the aforementioned soundtrack. Yeah, which they do bring up here saying that the sound is dire. It, you know, it, it does sound really bad. It's Brad here who's the shining light in all of this, uh, where he said, there's nothing new. There's something borrowed. is the stuff from other games. And the only thing blue is the swearing that came out of my mouth. Brad is the best. This game isn't 70% 
feels generous. Yeah, I would say as much actually because it's not a good game. Yeah, it's it's a bad bad platforming game. Uh, I kind of agree with what Jazz says really, which is that like a Spider-Man game should not be difficult. Like it should be a fun action game. And they always seem to really struggle to make decent Spider-Man 2D platforming games because the Spider-Man game in the Mega Drive is good, but it's just it's very early in the Mega Drive life cycle to be sort of held up as a modern day classic. I don't know, dude. Like, I can't think of like many really, really good. I like Maximum Carnage, maybe because it's Final Fight, but with Spider-Man. But like, yeah, what you want is like a good platforming Spider-Man game. I think actually, scrolling beat 'em up at this point is the best home for Spider-Man. And I was going to mention Maximum Carnage, but one thing I do want to bring up because it's a change between I think last time we recorded and this time is I finally started to play Spider-Man for the PlayStation. Oh, cool. That is a very good game. You've played that. I have indeed. It's one of the few games on the PlayStation I've actually finished. It's very good. I very much enjoyed it. I'm still very early in the game, but the game has actually managed to make me cry. (laughs) Really? I'm not going to give away spoilers because obviously with the PS5 remaster out there, which does look amazing, people are discovering it for themselves. But there is a moment when Peter and Mary Jane go to a restaurant. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the bit at the end, just as Pete runs out to go be spider-man i knew what they were going to do about two seconds before it happened and then it hit i welled up the fidgets it's a funny old name and a funny old game thanks greasy switch between the two mousy characters and use your catapults to help each other over the obstacles to escape each level well 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 it's a clone of titus the fox just what we all need once again we're subjected to another round of throwing crates going back getting another one lobbing that as well as if we hadn't had enough of that with the Blues Brothers. The two cute characters managed to bring the game up to scratch. They really are cute. They've got a sort of cockeyed mouse. An excellent game. Could be factor 10 as far as I'm concerned. The graphics might be nice. The sound might be good. But really, the gameplay with the two crappy characters is just too frustrating and too dull to be worth playing with. And lastly on the Game Boy, we've got The Fidgets, uh, a clone of Titus and the Fox, according to Steve Merritt. Or the Blues Brothers, depending on which thing he's ranting against. They do not like this game. They really, really do not like this game. Our hero, Brad, he's he's okay with it. He thinks it's actually quite fun. He's he's a fan of it. He said it's a 10 out of 10 game. He's a fan of it, is Brad. But Steve is like, this is all we need. Oh, God, I've had enough of this with the Blues Brothers. Oh, I've had enough of this with Titus the Fox. Then you get to Jazz, who just says, yeah, the graphics are sounding good, but the characters are crap, so it's not worth your while. 63%. 63%. This is this bugs me, this score. Not because I think that Fidgets is like some marvellous game. It is Even the plot is like nicked from something else. It's a bit five or goes west. It's the Fidgets, a game based around a family of mice that live in a country bar and they decide to move to America to make a new start. Bringing the family back together, yada, 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 side-scrolling puzzle platformy game. That's why Jazz hates it. Oh, yeah. It got mostly positive reviews, about an average score in the mid to high 70s. But here... Two out of three hated it. It got 63%. Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge, everyone hated 70%. And I would probably wager I've not played the fidgets, but Spider-Man and X-Men's probably worse? Yeah, no, Spider-Man and the X-Men yeah. is worse. Playing Spider-Man and the X-Men is worse than not playing the fidgets. <laughs> I think you're right on that, actually. Yeah, that score doesn't really add up anymore, does it? But then again, who knows how the score is actually attributed to the, these reviews? Does it come from the guys in the review zone? In fact, we should have asked Dan. We should yeah. have asked where the score came from. 
We drop him a message and we'll get back to you. There are still a few tickets left for the future entertainment show at Olympia from the 11th to the 14th of November, where Games Master will be holding four live shows per day plus a special show to be transmitted live on Thursday the 11th. So if you haven't booked a ticket yet, you can still do so by calling 051 356 5085 now. Tickets are available at the door, but it's best to book in advance to avoid the queues. And if you miss the number this time around, get a pen and paper ready because we'll repeat it at the end of the show. Games Master Live 93 is just around the corner. Tickets are going fast, but you can get them on the door, which suggests to me they're not going that fast then. Um, and the special episode that we talked about in last week's podcast is going to be on next week's show. So episode 10 is going to feature the live broadcast from Games Master Live 93. Bro, instead of going across to Games Master for our next challenge, we're actually going to go to Dexter Fletcher, who's going to introduce us to this celebrity challenge with a twist. Now, tonight we have a celebrity challenge with a difference. Two strapping lads will be handpicked from our audience, and the winner will have a chance to go on the dream date with our celebrity guest. So without further ado... Let's bring her on. She's a top girl rap artist. Please give it up for Moni Love. Hi. Now, Moni, this is a computer program, so I've got to yes. ask you. Do, do you play a lot of computers? Yeah, a bit, yeah. A bit? Yeah. But not too much? Well, my four-year-old nephews thrash me, usually. Do they? Yeah. Well, we don't talk about that. <laughs> because the twist here, Ash, is that you could win not only a Games Master Golden Joystick, but a dream date. So we've moved away from Games Master... And now we're going to have a lower, lower fun on Dexter Fletcher's Blind Date. Blinder Data. Blind Data is such a great name. Keep that. We're using that. <laughs> yeah, and I believe we actually get this again in Series 3. We get it with the game's mistress when we actually get into the team championship stuff. There is the chance to win a date with the game's mistress, but I don't know because I've not watched that far ahead if the actual structure is the same. Whilst this is a bit weird, no. This mm -hmm. is a lot weird. Yeah. I do like how they structure the challenge. But before we get to that, we have our celebrity, Moni Love, who I do not remember in the slightest. Nope, not in the least, mate. I had to go to uh, YouTube to find some of his. I, I went to Wikipedia to find out what her singles were. I then went to YouTube to listen to those singles. Absolutely none of them rang a bell. I mean, they're good. That is why I can tell you. I've actually quite enjoyed the, the songs that I did listen to. Particularly Born to Breathe. That was a really nice song. That was the one that was produced by Prince. Because I did go up was and actually... Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Born to Breed was produced by Prince. And reached number one on a couple of the smaller music charts. Probably should have worked out it was by Prince. Because it's uh, Breed is B dot r dot e dot e dot d that's a very princean thing to do is actually is that's he exactly still it. prince at this point or has he become the artist at this point Ooh, might be yeah it might be the yeah or even just the symbol at this point oh man we're going to encounter that in our timeline that's going to be weird <laughs> oh well <laughs> either way i think part of this is she wasn't pop music she did have some success but she wasn't kind of gabrielle level solo artist she wasn't that top of the pop star mm -hmm. i was actually surprised to find out that she was um from london she's from battersea because the music sounds very american like she's got a real like salt and pepper style to her lyrics and her delivery i think she's quite probably heavily influenced by them well she's she's quite heavily influenced but also she was only in london for like seven or eight years after she was born then she moved to america ah right I, that probably that makes a lot of sense then that makes some sense because when she was interviewed and she's got a very, you know, she's got a, a London accent, I was like, oh, that surprises me, actually. 
she's got a London accent, but it is that kind of smooth, semi-Americanized London accent. It's that accent where you can tell that they've had the edges buffed off after being overseas for a good number of years. Mm-hmm. But she still lives in America, and while she's not an active musician at this point, she has gained quite a reputation for herself as a radio DJ. So she's not producing music, but she's still spinning the tunes on the platters of steel across the radio waves of America, where FM radio still kind of means something. (laughs) Although I've just gone on that little diatribe about FM radio still meaning something. Turns out she DJs for Sirius Satellite Radio. Oh, okay, there it is. So are you excited about winning a dream? Yeah, I've been practicing, I've been practicing, yeah. And you're going to pick out a couple of lovely lads you like? Yeah, yeah. You're going to let me go pick them up? Yeah, you go and do it. All right. You go and do that. Pick out a couple of lads you like. Let's find out these strapping young lads' names, shall we? Andy, You're Andy, where are you from? Uh, Buckinghamshire. Are you looking forward to uh, winning a date with Moni? Oh, very much so, very much so. You yes. are. Oh, all right, good. And what's your name? Stephen. Steve, what would you rather win, a joystick or a date with Moni? Joystick. Be honest. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? So why'd you pick these two, Moni? Well, because I've got the best of both worlds. If I win a date with him, yeah. he can take me out. <laughs> yeah, he will. If I win a date with Steve, Nice young spring chicken. Yes, very nice. <laughs> We're going to get some ice cream. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> this whole segment works for me because Moni Love is so good. I think she is really, really charming. And I think that she sells this idea way better than Dex does, way better than the lads do, way better than Chris Knight does. I think she's the star of this segment. I think she's a star of this segment. I wonder if this was her idea because this does feel a little bit oddly put together. I don't know. I mean, let's start with the two guys that she gets down. And I use the term guys fairly loosely because there's a man and a boy. First of all, we have Plant A, uh, sorry, Andy, <laughs> who's uh, rocking the double denim and looks like he's just come off of some sort of Team Beat magazine shoot. He looks quite smooth and suave. Unfortunately, when he opens his mouth, he comes across as a bit of a creep. Yeah. I do not like Andy. I don't like him. <laughs> he's he's up for it. He wants that date with Moni. He's 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 up for this. And then we've got our much younger suitor called Stephen, who is, like most boys of his age, more interested in a joystick. Yeah, he literally says. It's just like, would you rather win the joystick or go on a date? Like, I'd rather win the joystick. But, but Moni, like, she explains her reasoning. Andy, if he wins, then he'll she'll go out on a nice proper date. But if Steve wins, she'll get to have ice cream. So it's the best of both worlds. I'd be rooting for the younger kid because ice cream and not a creep. I also uh, think these two are related because there's a moment just before, like, we get the Games Master introduction of the game. And then we get sort of like their reaction to this. And Stephen sort of like gives Andy a little bit of a nudge because Andy says something and he's like, almost like a nudge in that sort of younger brother way of like, oh, you're embarrassing me, but also we're being quite playful with each other. I had that note because what he actually says, he goes, look at the size of him. He's basically dismissing Stephen for being short. I don't think Stephen gives him a bit of a nudge. You look at it, you watch the VAR, he digs the elbow right in under the ribs. And Andy has no choice but to sell it because you know what? That will have bloody hurt and he deserves it. (laughs) Creepy, creepy bastard. I'm sorry. We don't punch down on the kids. Andy's an adult. He's got it coming. 
he does nothing to endear himself to me. All right, let's go over to the Games Master. I'll find out what your challenge is going to be. Okay. Games Master, are you busy? As a matter of fact, I am. My cat, Roger, has fleas. It's immensely irritating. Anyway, tonight's celebrity challenge is on cool spot for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants must score as many points as possible by collecting spots and shooting mice and spiders. But I've set up a rather special arrangement for our winner. Over to you, Fletcher. So, Moni, you've got one minute on cool spot to set the highest possible score you can. OK. And you two lads, well, it's going to be the quickest out of you to match Moni's score. Do you feel confident? Yes. Look at the size, Ben. He's fighting back already. Bit of rivalry. You're going to make it difficult for him, Yeah, I'm going to try. Yeah, she's ready. Before we get into the challenge itself, poor old Raj has got fleas. So it's, it's nice to see Raja back on the show. <laughs> I love that. It's taken us a while to get him back, but I love that we've got Raja again and he's being used as a folly to Games Master having a peaceful, productive day. We'd be in the commentary box as our very own resident computer expert, Chris Knight. How you doing, Dexter? Very well, you? Fine, thank you, yeah. Now, this is the first time we've seen Cool Spot on the SNES. Uh, is it a good version? Yeah, I reckon so. It's pretty much a big exclusive for Games Master here. Yeah. And what about this challenge for Moni? Uh, one minute to get as many points as she can. Is that going to be tough? I think she might find it a bit tough going because uh, we're actually playing level three, which, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the harder levels, yeah. Chris Knight is in the booth to tell us that this is a yet another exclusive for Games Master. We're playing Cool Spot on the Super Nintendo, which we didn't actually get to talk about. Um, but we talked about it a little bit in the consultation zone, because we both played it on the Mega Drive. You played it on stream. I played it uh, way back in the day, nearly burnt my house down with it because I left my Mega Drive on for three days. Um, oh boy, it's an irritating game. Now, I watched this challenge before we get into it. I watched this challenge for my note-taking phase, as I normally do nowadays, which is with the video either slowed down to 0.75 speed, or for some faster sections, 0.5 because it means that my writing speed and what's going on on the screen I've got a nice parity and I don't have to pause it or rewind it as much and I got through this challenge I finished my notes and I thought bloody hell that game felt slow I should go back and watch it at normal speed just so I don't say anything I regret saying about how sluggish this challenge feels nope this challenge feels very sluggish cool spot lollops much like Robocop, he falls slowly. Yeah. No, it is. It, it's a game that is about the, the animate, the walk cycle is, is important here. You want to see how cool this walk cycle looks. And as such, it is a bit slow. The jump's a bit slow. It looks really nice, but it's also like, oh man, I just got so many flashbacks to how irritating Cool Spot can be. There's a period on this where you're like jumping in between tacks, but it's so difficult to land yourself down because the backgrounds and the and the character sprite animations don't quite mesh they don't quite mix together so you're always going to land on the spike it's oh and the amount of times that people fall on this when they're trying to grab hold of something is so funny i mean maybe in america you'd play this game and you'd see cool spot walking along smoothly like a cool dude and you'd think this is a cool character i should buy soft drinks with this cool character on doesn't help in the UK because they removed the branding because we had Fido Dido. Mm-hmm, sure did. And we did not get that Fido Dido game as we discussed back in episode four or five, I think it was. Honestly, if not for the fact that this game very much plays on the fact that Cool Spot is a small dot and everything around him normal-sized is giant, 
I reckon they'd have done a reskin. Mm. If it was just a standard platformer or just surrealist platformer, I can see them going, okay, let's animate Fido Dido. Let's do it that way. But after Games Master introduces the challenge, we get it reiterated that the crux of this comes down to Moni goes first and she has a minute to get as high a score as possible. She doesn't have to worry about dying, although after three lives it might become problematic because she's only got three lives. But she has a minute to get the highest score possible. Then her suitors have to match that score or better it in the quickest time possible. Quickest time gets the date. It's a little convoluted, like in premise, Yeah, but I dig it. Yeah, it works. I dig the fact that you've essentially gone, okay, first person is the pace setter. The other two have to better it. I really, really like that idea. That's, that's a fun one. It's new. It's fresh. It's tearing up the rule book, Luke. <laughs> yeah, dude, I really like this. I thought it was a fun way to structure this because each round of playing it had its own different vibe. Because your first one is, as you say, Moni Love getting points and doing as best as she can in the time she's got. And then the second one becomes sort of how quickly you can get to that same point. And then the, sec- and then the final one becomes a race against the clock. I, 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 I kind of dug it. We're getting three challenges for the price of one here. Yeah, totally. Especially because the third challenge, the clock is then counting down. So we get That's count it, yeah. down for a minute, then count up for the second, then count back down for the third. As I say, it's not the simplest challenge to explain, but it's fun. It's good, yeah. good fun. And it's worth going out of your way to see because you get to see the really cool graphics that, that Cool Spot has. This is on level three where you're in like surrounded by mice and you know tacks and spiders and whatnot. And you've got to got this sort of glow around you because you're in a darkened place. It really shows off how cool this looks and sort of like how nice the animation is and everything. The animation on the mice, the animation on the spiders, uh, Cool Spot himself. It, it really does show off how lovely the game is. I mean, uh, Moni takes a fair few hits uh, while playing this, as you would do. And she falls a lot, as you would do, because this game is massively annoying. At the end of this, she scores 4,450 points and it cuts to Moni after her challenge is finished. And she's just shaking her wrist because her wrist absolutely wrecks from playing this game. If you're not used to holding controllers, even if you game a little bit and it's only to lose to your nephews or whatever it was she said at the beginning, then yeah, I can see why she might have, I guess, made her wrist sore while playing the game. One, hold it there, Money! Well done, so Money scored 4,450. Stay tuned to see which of our lads can match her score in the quickest possible time and win their dream day. Don't go away. What's happened to the orange smarties? What tricks are they triggering with their extra orangey power? What can zap a tangy Terminator with eight sonic orange sounds? Only smarties have the answer. Orange Avengers should arm themselves with a smarties zapper before it's too late. <laughs> ah! My friends at Nintendo have placed four Super Mario games on the same cart for less than 50 of your pounds. Super Mario Brothers 1 is pretty tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 2 is a little more advanced. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 3 is... <laughs> but Super Mario Brothers The Lost Levels is so difficult, it could actually unhinge the balance of your mind. I'm sure that 
talentless celebrity women find repellent. See what I mean? He's completely tonto. Mario is infuriating Nintendo. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, lollipop pickers. I've got the old mate nicely back in the studio with me. Uh, fab holiday, mate. Wrong, grey mate. No fabs at all. Twas costed and atrocious. There ain't no fab lolly in Espanoli. So remember, listeners, Quetta de la Fidido, Fabio, Esther, Quetastic, amigo. Uh, wise words, mate. Lions made fab. They're lollipop-tastic. Welcome back. You've joined us just in time to see which of our lads can match Moni Love's score of 4,450 in the quickest possible time in order to win a dream day with her. Sound good? Well, back from the ad breaks, the lads now have to match her score in the quickest time possible. Andy is up first. He is, he's slow at the start, but he does pick up some speed and he kind of works his way around the level a little bit. Chris and Dex keep shouting that the advice is kill the mice, kill the spiders. They're worth more points. But I feel like both Andy and Steven are just going for the red dots to, to kind of sort of rack up your points. I, I agree to a point, but there were points in this game where both Andy and Steve literally walk past red dots to get to mice to kill. And I'm thinking, guys, they're right there. Take the dots. And particularly in the case of Steve, it could have been the difference maker. Andy does pretty well. He meets the target score and surpasses it by 100 points at 45 seconds. It's a respectable time. This is not an exciting game to watch people play, even with a clock involved. No, I think the clock helps. Uh, but it isn't the most exciting game to watch, as you say, because it's it sort of lollops along. And that's very evident in Steve's play because he's a lot more cautious uh, with the way that he is sort of moving around, trying to avoid the tax and things like that. Whereas actually, you probably could have just rushed through it. And yeah, you're right. He sort of misses a few uh, of the dots because they tell him that he should be going for the mice and the spiders. And in the end, he doesn't quite do it, but he almost does because he ends with a 45 seconds, with 4,100 points. 
he was just three to four hundred off actually winning this challenge. Yeah, I was gutted for him because obviously, as I think I've made clear, I don't like Andy. So I wanted Steve to win this. So he got the joystick and then got to go with Moni for some nice, wholesome ice cream sundaes. I mean, probably go to a wimpy, might even get a Bender burger. You don't know. It, it could be. Hello. I mean, yeah, he could be in for the night of his life there. But no date for him. And more importantly, no golden joystick. Wow. There was a valiant effort there, Steve. What went wrong? Mm, just a bit nervous. What about winning that date with Moni? Oh, I was rooting for him. Yeah, she wanted you to win. So what about you, Andy? Hey. Well, we're going to go down the greasy spare, you know, bacon, butty, cup of tea, something like that. That's, why I, was just, that's yeah. why I was rooting for Steve. Yeah, it sounds romantic, I must say. <laughs> No, and he's proper nervous in the post-match as well. But like Moni's so lovely. She's got her arm around him and everything to sort of like comfort him, saying that she was rooting for him to win. And we probably find out why, because Andy's dream date is to take her down to a greasy spoon for a bacon sarni. And Moni says, and that is why I was rooting for Steve to win. She wants her ice cream. I mean, don't get me wrong. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with a greasy spoon, a nice butty of choice, and a cup of tea. Oh, yeah. Um, the old studio that we used to have in Dagnum uh, was actually next door to a greasy spoon, uh, a West Ham-themed greasy spoon. And on a Friday morning, I would go in slightly earlier than I possibly needed to would because I could go to the greasy spoon and get a proper full breakfast. And it was lovely. Oh, mate. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> That's a reason to get it up was. early of a morning, particularly these cold mornings we've got now is you have oh, to yeah. you have to go through the dark it might probably raining windy the damp smell of commuters but then you yep. get to work or you get to buy work and boom a nice greasy spoon breakfast to start you off on your day that's the way to start the weekend oh that's that's the way i figured it as well i remember doing it on the day that castlevania was released on the on netflix the animated series um so i, I downloaded the episodes all four of them and bearing in mind, my commute to the Dagnum Studios was was 90 minutes. It took me 90 minutes to get there. And the whole way, you're just thinking, oh, at the end of this, there is a lot of sausage and a lot of bacon and some hash browns and beans waiting for me. I'm so hungry right now. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, but Dex says that not only does Andy have that dream date, he has the golden joystick. Just don't get bacon grease on it. It will tarnish the finish, man. <laughs> I reckon he should be giving advice on that because don't let him take the golden joystick down to the greasy spoon. That's not a good idea. Now, who wants me to go through their little queries? Is there a secret level in Out to Lunch on the SNES? Yes, there is. On the first level of Greece, make your way to the olive tree at the top left of the screen. Jump on the trunk repeatedly. Olives fall from the branches. Eventually, a gold olive will fall. Collect this and a magic door will appear which leads to a secret bonus level. Go to the top of this level using the springs and an extra life will be your reward. That's wonderful, thanks. Our first kid in the consultation zone has got a heck of a haircut. A haircut that I would wager is ahead of its time. This is a haircut that would become fashionable in the early 2000s. This kid's a trendsetter. Much like Samuel was a trendsetter earlier with his t-shirt and Star Wars references, This kid is a trendsetter with his haircut. We should get those two together. They could be predicting the future. (laughs) Uh, But he wants a hidden level on Out to Lunch. I highly doubt that he does. Um, We had Out to Lunch reviewed a couple of episodes back and we both said then, God, this does not look like a Super Nintendo game. 
But as we pointed out, while Games Master wasn't overly fond of it, a lot of other people did like it because it was a solid, fun game underneath it all. It's nice to see a hint for it because also people may have bought that game after seeing it on Games Master. Now they're getting a little bit extra. Much the same as our next tipster. Games Master, I've heard that's a secret level on Dizzy for the Mega Drive. Can this be true? Yes, it can, my young friend. Enter the first tunnel in the town. Go through to Bridge Street and go to the rightmost end. There you'll find the barrel of rum. Retrace your steps back to the town and walk left to the next tunnel. Go through and you'll find yourself in Dock Street. Walk up the gangplank and drop the barrel of rum to get rid of the angry pirate. Make your way across the ship until you reach the gangplank. The pirate will mysteriously reappear, forcing you to walk the plank. Don't worry, as this leads to the secret underwater world full of rising bubbles, which you'll need to play through to get to the crucible aqueduct. Thank you very much, Games Master. Someone sound the dizzy alarm. I think it's time to hear from our special dizzy correspondent. What have you got to say about this, Dave? Well, so, uh, have you heard about the secret, uh, just to just to go off on a different track, the secret uh, area, the secret world in the original Super Mario Brothers? Not a lot of people talk about this. You hear a lot about warp zones and so on, but there's one not a lot of people know. Secret zone, secret world. What you do is in the first level, level one, if you go all the way to the right-hand side of that level and you go into the castle there, then you will find a secret world called level two. Did you know about that? (laughs) I've heard rumours of this sort of thing, yeah. This is a complete swiss. <laughs> what the Games Master is telling you to do here is simply to go to the ne- to the next bit of the game. It's the it's not it's not a hidden world. It's just the next it's just a normal place in the game. What so what you, what it is that he's telling you to do is start oh it's all fancy though isn't it i hope you've used the clip because the way he says it like oh you go down this road go through this door find the second door on the left this door here that door there it makes it sound as if what you're inputting is some kind of secret code you go through the map in this weird way no it's just you can go any way you want he's just telling you the, the way like and then when you get to a part of the game that is this this pirate ship if you happen to go to one side of it and why wouldn't you because the whole point of the game is to go everywhere and find everything that's all you do in the game if you do that the thing you've been doing to get there anyway then and it's not even that you go like left or down you go to the right like you do in games and if you do that then you find the next screen that's there and that is the one that games master is giving out as a hint however now this is the thing because normally i would just stop talking there and frankly there wouldn't be any point having me on but there is something interesting to tell you about here Mm -hmm. um i think your listeners will be interested in because games master is actually on the right track there is a secret to be found if you just but but if he just kept talking and kept talking about what there is to do then he would actually have so i've explained this before on this show i believe but fantastic dizzy on the mega drive was a sort of last hurrah for dizzy and it was in many ways a kind of a best of a lot of the things in the game are taken from the existing normal dizzy games on the home computers now there's actually some confusion over one of them because let me go back a little bit one of the most popular games was uh, treasure island dizzy 
And in that, you're on this island, and the big memorable moment of that game that I think most people really like remember as the, the, the sort of gasp moment, oh, I'm getting far now, is when you pick up an aqualung and a pair of flippers. And at that point, as long as you're carrying those, you can go into the sea. You can just walk into the sea at the edge of what appears to be the map. And with the aqualung, as long as you're holding that, and watch out, don't drop it, you can breathe underwater, and with the flippers, you can swim around. I think that's my it's been a while my memory's hazy certainly that's how it's going to work in Fantastic Dizzy as a nod to Treasure Island Dizzy now the story of Treasure Island Dizzy as there was no cutscene or anything it was just printed in the inlay is that a pirate has made you walk the plank and that's why you're trapped on this island in Fantastic Dizzy there you are on on a a pirate ship just randomly because you've gone to the docks and there was a ship there and now you're exploring the ship if you go to the right end of the of the or to the prow of the ship, I suppose it looks like in the in the game, then maybe it's meant to be the side. Anyway, a plank is there. A pirate jumps out, as Games Master describes, makes you walk the plank. So it's the thing from Treasure Island Izzy, but you're actually seeing it. At that point, you fall down into this deep chasm in the sea, and you do a minigame to get back up again. All these bubbles are coming up from the bottom. You can just temporarily breathe for whatever reason because of the game. And uh, you jump on the bubbles and you hop from bubble to bubble to get up, collecting stars along the way. An important thing about this game is that you have to collect a load of stars. All the stars in the game you have to collect or you can't finish the game. Um, And that's how I know that this secret area isn't one because it has several stars in it. You can't finish the game without going to this area. It's just an area of the game. Anyway... You take these bubbles up and you find yourself on the other side of like, you know, you get out on the other side to the ship and you find yourself on a screen, which is just a little island of sand in the middle. Dizzy standing there on that and the boat in the background and just sea on either side. That is an Easter egg because that is, and I didn't realize it until I thought about it today, but that's a reference to the title screen of treasure island dizzy that's what that title screen was and then you started the game well in this you have the aqualung from treasure island dizzy on the island you pick it up and you can go in the sea and if you've got the flippers you can swim around now that area of the sea this is where games master should have should have kept going kept talking there's nothing in it except stars and there's one object and that it you could because the, the 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 way dizzy games work is you're picking up objects you're taking them to who or what puzzle wants that object and you use it there right or give it or drop it there's only one item in this whole section it's almost as if they forgot to put anything in it other than stars so it kind of it, it does behave a bit like a secret section even if it isn't one what that item is is a large gold coin it might even say a giant gold coin and that's an Easter egg as well, because in Treasure Island, Dizzy, you were collecting them the way you're collecting stars in this, and in the same way you needed to get them all to finish level. But that's not why I'm talking about this. Take that coin. There is a use for it. It's not just an Easter egg. There's a use for it in the game. Because there's another imported um, puzzle from Fantasy World Dizzy, the third Dizzy game. Treasure Island, I mean the second. And in it... In Fantasy World Dizzy and in this game, you find a little cow. And if you take this to a shopkeeper, then the shopkeeper will give you for the cow, what else but a bean, a magic bean. And you plant that in the ground in the appropriate spot. And what else? You get a beanstalk and now you can explore the the clouds and the world in the sky. That happens in this game. Except if you've been to the sea area and you've got that gold coin... You can just buy the magic bean. You don't need the cow at all. 
But the thing is, the cow is much easier to find. It's just in, I think, uh, it's been a long time, but I think it's just in the opening area. It's in the village you live in is where this cow is. So you can just easily take that to the shopkeeper, absolutely no problem. It's basic puzzle solving, and the problem isn't where the item is. But this coin is hidden away. You know, you have to find the secret area. <laughs> but no, certainly you have to get further through the game to find this thing. It's, you know, especially if you think you have to get the flippers and all that. So why is it this? It's not a shortcut. Why can you pay with a coin for this magic bean? Well, it means that you can solve the bean puzzle and get your beanstalk without giving away the cow. Why would you want the cow? Well, in Magicland, Dizzy, there's a puzzle where Dora, your sister, has been turned into a frog and you give her to a prince. The prince kisses the frog. Dora comes back, you know, the frog turns back into Dora, and that's that's the prince. He disappears. In this, the prince doesn't disappear. And you can give the cow to the prince. Now, I don't know why anyone would think to do this. I don't know if there's a reference, if there was a thing back in the 1993 days of giving a cow to a prince. I don't know what that is. But if you give the cow to the prince which is secret and you don't know to do it and you have to go come by it in this convoluted way, then the prince gives you his special symbol. Now, can you think, given that it's 1993, what the prince's special symbol was? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not a blue Peter badge, is it? Quiz time. No, that would be a good one. No, because you'll recall that at the time, a different prince had changed his name to a symbol. Because you, and like, became the, the artist symbol. formerly known as Prince. Yes, Prince Clumsy in Dizzy, in Fantastic Dizzy, in exchange for a cow, I don't know why, will give you that Prince symbol. If you take that... Oh, and by the way, when he does it, he says something like, I'm Prince, I'm funky. <laughs> <laughs> if you take that symbol underground into a particular cave and you put it in a particular puddle in that cave and there's not really any clue that you're supposed to do this what what do you get but it starts to rain purple rain And you get loads and loads of points. Loads of points. More more points than you can get for anything else in the game. Now, I don't think points actually do anything in this game other than, you know, this. This moment where you go, whoa, that was a lot of points. That must be good. But back in those days, we were still... Things like Games Master and Sonic the Comic, our our respective podcast subjects, were, were still talking as if points were relevant to game oh, yeah. players even though they weren't. And so, and we still kind of bought it. We still kind of bought into it. Like, oh yeah, points. So that is what Games Master should have said to do. That is the <laughs> secret. That's the trick. And it does involve going there. And I, part of me wonders if maybe they started out saying that and then either they found out they weren't allowed to, to put the Prince symbol on TV without paying Prince or they just realized that they'd gone on for about as long as I just went on. And they went, you know yeah. what? <laughs> let's just not, cut that it's, down it's not a short hint is it like it's no <laughs> it's very because we've seen like there's been a couple that they've done from like point and click games like they've done from some yeah. like, treasure island and um goblins and things goblins. like goblins i love goblins 
Well, well I love like... Goblin. I love Goblins two and Goblins three. Um, uh, yeah. Goblins one never quite, never quite. But anyway, <laughs> but like they've got like you know twenty five steps that you need to do mm. in order to get this thing. And like you're watching, you're like bloody hell, there's a lot to do. And if you if you've not been taping it, you better hope you've got a pen and like pen and paper at the ready yeah, just know, in case yeah. this comes on. I know. Did I, I? I told you, didn't I, when I was on about my experience with the dizzy helpline? Yes. Yes. You did. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So I would have known. I would have been there. Right, Mum, get your pad out quick. <laughs> write this down. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Dave, uh, before I let you go, please plug away. Uh, what, what do you? What do you want to promote this week? <laughs> oh, same as every week, uh, Pinky. I have got a podcast called Sonic the Comic the Podcast we do very much the same thing these guys do about games master except we do it about the old british sonic comics which were also kind of games magazines and reflections of the time that we were living in so if you like this podcast frankly you'll like sonic the comic the podcast whether or not you care about sonic the hedgehog i bet you'd like to hear about mark miller's streets of rage adaptation well that is where you will do that sonic the comic the podcast you can find it at stctp.wigglehe.com I've got another one called Serious Disney's in which me and my friend Jahan Ranasing discuss those Disney remakes they keep making that nobody wants and nobody asks for but they keep making them and uh, as a special Christmas bonusy treat we've started releasing a deep dive into the Beauty and the Beast remake perhaps the most execrable film I think I've ever seen it's it- one of them and the others are also on this podcast yeah beauty and the beast remake not a great time uh but we think you'll have a fun and festive time listening to us dissect it and be try not to be grumpy grump grumps and also talk about all facts that we know because we know all sorts of secret things about beauty and the beast and frankly it's like a world exclusive i think we're the only people who've ever discussed the film's origins as an adaptation of the broadway musical which i know all about i've never heard anyone else talk about this except for like michael eisner so go and listen to serious disney's <laughs> serious disney's.wigglehe.com those are my plugs i'm demon tomato dave on various places like twitter and twitch and youtube there we go bye i can't name my plane on the carrier on super strike eagle on super nintendo please show me how you got it approach the carrier from the left hand side pull back high and reduce your throttle then nosedive into the first third of the carrier you will land safely and easily every time Thanks a lot. And our third and final kid cannot land his plane on Super Strike Eagle for the Super Nintendo. And Games Master guides you to do that. Approach from the left, point up, reduce throttle, and then nosedive into the carrier and you'll land perfectly every time. I was entirely with the Games Master until the nosedive bit. And then I'm like, hang on, that's not how you're meant to land a plane, but I guess it works for this game. It was very much an arcade type game. Fly lots of planes, sidewinder missiles, machine guns cold war references released globally moderately well received you play a united nations pilot whose main goal in life is to bring various governments around the world back into a cooperation with the un you are essentially a heavy for the un with sidewinder missiles (laughs) well that's enough hints tips and cheats let's head on over to the games master for our final challenge of the evening our final tonight is on formula one for the mega drive because as you know I do like a bit of speed. Monaco is our location, and I'm allowing one minute to complete a lap of the notoriously tough Monte Carlo circuit. Gentlemen, start your engines. Apparently, Games Master does like a bit of speed. Yeah. you got one minute to complete the Monte Carlo circuit on F1. F1 is such a generic name for a game, but it looks pretty lovely. 
This was an officially licensed game produced by Domark. It was based on a game called Vroom, which was released for the Atari back in 1991. But this is the Mega Drive and Genesis version. There was also Master System and Game Gear versions and an Amiga port, because why the hell not? While there were no major gameplay differences between the European and American version, apart from the name change, where the European version was just known as F1 and it was released fully as Formula One in America, the European version had a battery save. The American version did not. But this is fully licensed by the Formula One Association and Fuji Television, which means all the drivers, the teams and the tracks, they're all licenses. Although the players drive in the fictional Domark team as a driver called James Tripp, who was a programmer at Domark and also produced the game, so I guess he won that honour. But you are racing against real drivers such as Schumacher's in there, Bergar's in there, Brundle, Herbert, Zanardi, Andretti, and Mika Hakkinen, driving for McLaren. That's cool. And, of course, someone that we get mentioned shortly, Mr. Damon Hill. Johnny Herbert as well, is a former guest star on Games Master. He was a celebrity challenger on in Series 2. And he's actually a celebrity challenger again in Games Master coming up. There is one noticeable absence, though, from that time period. There's no Senna. Ayrton Senna is mm-hmm. missing because he had his own game. This is a bit of a Michael Jordan bit business going on. He was endorsing Sega's own Ayrton Senna's Super Monaco GP2. So he was not in this game. He was just completely absent. There are 12 tracks to select from in this game. Whilst there are some tracks missing that did feature in the 1993 Formula One season, such as Donington... I mean, I'm only thinking you should include Donington because Monsters of Rock is a great festival. Headlined by bands that you despise, Luke. But (laughs) the tracks that are there are in the right order for the season. The track layouts were accurate to 1993 and they couldn't quite recreate the physics of a Formula One car yet. We didn't really get that until the PlayStation, to be honest, and the Formula One game for that, which was great. So to make up for that, they added a number of obstacles along the track sides, including barrels, tyres and signs for things like Castrol. This will come back to haunt us later. Wasn't it just? It did include a two-player split-screen mode and also a turbo mode, which allowed you to increase the speed by reducing sprites and polygons, making the screen roughly the same size as it was in split-screen. And I tell you what, this game's fast enough as it is. This is a fast, fast game. This, for its time, is a cracking Formula One game. And as I said, I'm not sure it'd be properly surpassed for a good while yet. The main one I think of is, as I said, Formula One for the PlayStation. I remember that game. I wasn't a big F1 fan, but I enjoyed that game. With me in the commentary box is Neil West again. Hello, Dax. Hi, Neil. Now, F1, new game on the market. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, new game. Good game. Also one of the fastest games. In fact, this is probably the fastest race game ever written for any console. That's what we want to see. So he's going to need some quick reflexes. Neil West is back in the booth to know how this is the new game on the market. But as you mentioned, it is also the fastest. And crikey, he's only got a minute, you know, which is not a long amount of time. But by jinga, this is so quick. What a fast little game this is. And for the most part, this kid is good. This is a tight challenge. This is a fast game, a tight challenge. He makes one mistake. That is literally all it takes. And the two and a half seconds that it costs him is enough for him to fail to qualify. 
because he starts off, he's quickly up to 140 miles an hour. Some of those corners are damned reckless and he comes very close to coming off. But as he admits in the post-match, he takes his eyes off the screen for half a second to look at the clock and a corner hits and boom, he stalls into the Castrol sign and it is two seconds, if that. But then the acceleration and while he recovers the speed and the pace, he's chasing the clock proper at that point. Dex is convinced he will still make it on commentary. And I don't think Dex was exaggerating because it was so, so close. And really, it come down to that one mistake, taking your eye off the ball for just that one momentary glance cost you that Games Master Golden Joystick. So Steve, two and a half seconds out, what went wrong? I had a bad start and then halfway through the course I looked at the clock and I'd come off the course. <laughs> I looked away, took your eyes off the road, smash, it was all over. Unlucky. And yeah, as we said in the post-match, it was that one glance and also he says he had a bit of a bad start. I don't know, I didn't think the start was that bad. He took off pretty quickly. He was being too hard on himself. That's what I was going to say. Like, I don't think he had a bad start at all. I actually thought he, he was doing really well. I think he actually did the challenge pretty much as best as you could, with the exception of hitting that sign. We've had some challenges this season that have been successes that were tight. We had one last week with Robocop versus mm-hmm. Terminator. I think this is the tightest failure thus far in season three. And oh, yeah. I wanted this kid to win so much because he nailed the first half of that track. and. It was literally taking his eyes off the road. That was what did him in. I was gutted for him. I was absolutely yeah. gutted because if he'd won despite that crash, oh, it would have been such a victory, such a victory snatched from the jaws of defeat because it would have been millisecond. Yeah, it really would have been. Like, I, I, to be honest, I don't know what else he could have done uh, in order to have improved his time. There's probably just, like some cornering and stuff, but dang, he came close. Dang, he came really close. So he departs joystickless, but you know what, Luke? He gets plenty of horn. And our quote of the... You might be able to explain this one to me because this, this kind of went over my head a little bit. Oh, we've come to the end of another turbocharged edition of Games Master. I'll leave you with the famous words of Nigel Mansell. Never be an amber gambler. See ya. Even for me, this is a bit old because this has its origins in a public information film from the 1970s about the dangers of speeding through traffic lights. Crikey. This man is an amber gambler. Every time he goes out in his car, he dices with death. An amber gambler can't resist the challenge of the amber light. He always has to be first away. And even when it's perfectly safe to break in time, he prefers to play beat the lights. But every time he gets away with it, he's shortening the odds until the day he meets another gambler, face to face. Don't be an amber gambler. You might not be the only one around. Basically, in this public information film, we see a man driving and ignoring amber traffic light signals until the odds catch up with him and he strikes another amber gambler crossing the road in front of him. And then, plot twist, Luke, when he gets out of the car to confront the other driver the camera pulls back to reveal the other person is himself. What? Honestly, I love that as a twist goes. The phrase became popular to use to succinctly describe high-risk driving behaviours that enhance the likelihood of automobile collisions, not behaviour you generally associate with Nigel Mansell, who is essentially (laughs) racing's equivalent of wallpaper paste. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Ash, what did you make of it? Two really, really strong episodes in a row. That first challenge was weird. I like the concept, but it was never an equal race. Even if people like Steve Carsey could complete those levels in roughly equal times, someone was always going to be disadvantaged there. Sadly, it was Sam. I'm glad she managed to complete it because the one guy who should have been able to easily complete his level, given the age of the game and the amount of time he'd have to play it and the fact he was so obviously a hardcore gamer, didn't even complete the challenge. But it was still a great spectacle to watch. Review section was fun enough. We had Young Merlin, a game which I'm not aware of, you're not really aware of, but looks fun and came from a well-respected studio. Uh, the other two games, Spider-Man, it's dog shit, the fidgets, I think they were unfairly harsh on, but so it goes. No feature. Celebrity challenge. Well, that got weird quickly, but fun game. Nice way of having someone establishing the bar and then other two people trying to surpass it. Great stuff. Consultation zone. Great set. Just a great set of challenges. One of which is a proper exploit of a game not having pretty good physics. The other two, genuinely helpful. Quite like them. And last challenge, not a joystick winner, but a brilliant challenge regardless. Showing a game that is blindingly fast. Just so fast, I I was shocked. Because again, as I said earlier, I watch these things often for the note-taking at like 0.75 speed. Even at 0.75 speed, this thing felt pretty damn fast. Yeah, it really is. It zips along quite quite heftily. So yeah, I um I I really enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed it more than last week as well, and I really liked last week's episode. I know you've you've got your reservations about how the first challenge was never going to be fair, but I almost feel like that's one of the reasons I liked it. I that first challenge, the Super Mario All Stars challenge, may be my favorite challenge of series three so far. Because it was so different to everything else that's been done on games master before it's three different games it's three different competitors it, there's some chance in there there's three different levels i didn't even all just do like world one one i found it to be just a really really cool challenge and similarly with the cool spot challenge of a way to kind of set this up someone sets the points someone then sets the time and then it comes down to the third person to get the points and the time together I thought it was a really nice setup. The Formula One like challenge was, you know, a very standard Games Master challenge, but because the games looks really good, it's really fast, and it was so tight, it ended up being really, really fun as well. The only thing that lets this episode down for me is the review zone and the consultation zone, but the challenge is more than made up for it for me. The challenges are a good example of how to make a not terribly exciting or sexy set of games be fun and captivating and attention holding. Because, you know what, Mario All-Stars, I've got my own anecdote about it, and I played Mario All-Stars to death. It was a great cartridge with four great games on it. Well, three great games and one nightmare. Mm -hmm. But they're not super sexy dynamic times, but you give it a twist with that challenge, good stuff. Cool spot. Beautiful looking game, but lolloping. But you twist up the challenge, you find a new way to make it a race, and suddenly a game that could be boring in a standard one-on-one challenge of highest score in a minute, it becomes something a bit special and a bit different. Because it's not just a joystick on the line, love is on the line. A greasy spoon is on the line. And he was a greasy spoon. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's all we've got time for on this episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do consider subscribing to this podcast if you haven't already. And give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the uh, show get noticed, which is always a lovely thing to do. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can email us feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to have a little bit of real-time feedback, a little bit of interaction with ourselves and other listeners from the Under Consultation fanbase, you can join our Discord where it appears currently we're exchanging baby and children photos, Luke. Yes, yeah, so that was from Quizzlemania uh, last night where we had uh, baby photos of the contestants as well because the tagline for Wrestlemania 23 was all grown up. So what we wanted to do was have uh, baby photos of us so we could then show the teams all grown up. That seems fun. I'm not sure I'm going to partake in it because I've burnt all photos of me at that age. They don't <laughs> exist anymore. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you can get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the five pound level. And at the 10 pound level, you get an extra bonus merch pack. Ash, what do they get? They get a Patreon exclusive mug, they get stickers, they get badges, they get retro sweeties, retro trading cards, Power Rangers at the moment, and £5 off the first under consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with extra stickers, extra badges and extra mugs at underconsultation.com. And why not ring in the new year with an under consultation t-shirt? Something old, something new, a new T-shirt, which also has some blue on it. <laughs> Shout out to those £10 backers. Adam, Adam, Cliff, Gordon, Jamie, Matt, Misha, Nick, Phil, Rich, Robert, Sean, Simon, William, Zach and Colin. That's all we've got time for. You all rule just as each and every single person listening to this episode does indeed. We will see you in seven days time as we get into episode 10. And episode 10 features Aladdin and Street Fighter 2 Champ Edition. I wish everyone at home could see the pure joy in Luke's <laughs> face while he said that. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Good night. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.